filibuster, filibuster freestyle. Filibuster, filibuster, Watch filibuster, out for the filibuster. filibuster. That's right, baby. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, on the filibuster freestyle. It's your buddy Gavin. And here we go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, as promised, we have a special, special treat this week. Uh, I promise I'm not going to talk a lot about the Super Bowl winning. New England Patriots, because a lot of folks gave me flack on filibusterfreestyle.com that they've heard enough about the Patriots. Well, frankly, my guest may talk a bit about it. He was at the game, but importantly, and I'll introduce him in a minute, uh, on the Filibuster Freestyle today is the man who threw Lady Gaga that end-of-halftime performance touchdown pass, none other than former Dartmouth quarterback, colleague of mine, friend of mine still, Brian Mann, first time, long time. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks, Kevin. Happy to be here. Yeah, good to have you, Brian. So it was fantastic because, um, you know, you this was not your first foray into the world of football and entertainment meeting. And we can get into that in a bit. But when I heard on Facebook that the mystery person who threw Lady Gaga a perfect pass was a guy that I worked with for like three and a half years, I was like, well, if we can get one degree away from Lady Gaga a week after the show, the filibuster freestyle has got to pursue it. So, again, thanks for being on, and thanks for hitting her in the, in the, you know, in the, in the hands, because I'm sure that was a little yeah. bit nerve-wracking um, <laughs> to do that at the end of a live performance where you're kind of just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. So what's going through your mind as she's kind of running all over the stadium performing, and you're probably holding the ball, getting ready to throw it? Well, actually, I wasn't. Uh, so interestingly enough, whether it was they didn't trust me or that's just the way they do things, I wasn't allowed to hold the football during the performance. Really? They had somebody, the whole job it was, was to guard and carry the football all around. So I actually didn't get the football until about two minutes before it was go time. Okay, so in some ways it's kind of like an, that guy was the center, and until he snapped the ball, <laughs> you didn't have a chance. It was a little bit elongated, of course, but it's kind of like an actual football play. All right, cool. Yeah. So that, that probably cut down on the nerves a little bit because you couldn't really overthink how the ball felt because literally you didn't have it in your hands. Um, okay, we'll work through this a little bit. but uh, and, and I think the Boston Globe did a nice article on, on kind of the guy who was going to do it, I either bailed or flaked or had scheduling issues where he had to throw somebody else a bedazzled touchdown pass somewhere else in the world. But the game was in Houston. You work in Houston at Rice University. So you're sitting in your office, and what, what happens? The phone rings or what happens? No, they, um, there's a talent agency that uh, works with the NFL for the Super Bowl. And once they come up with a plan for the performance, uh, they go to this talent agency and say, hey, help us fill in these three, four, five, ten gaps, whatever it is. Okay. And was somebody had to throw a pass to Lady Gaga. And they had someone lined up or they thought they had a, a lead on someone and that person changed their mind. So the Tuesday before the Super Bowl, they essentially cold called Rice Athletics, <laughs> the AD's office, and the executive assistant, um, who I've gotten to know really well the last couple of years, listened to what they wanted and said, you know, I'm happy to give you the number of the football office, which is what they wanted, figuring they could get a quarterback off the roster or sure. something like that. Um, but she said, you know, interestingly enough, there's a guy downstairs who's done a couple things in his life that might make him a great fit. You should talk to him. Nice. Uh, so, so my phone rang and that was it. So she's now your new agent, the executive assistant, I'm guessing. She is. Uh, she gets 10% of everything my way now. So. Fantastic. I love it. So that's amazing. So literally, you're just sitting there on a Tuesday afternoon, right place, right time, which is phenomenal. Now, um, 
here's a question. You know, I sent you a couple questions on the way, on the way, you know, before the show, so you wouldn't be, you know, completely hoodwinked by the filibuster freestyles, free flowing form. Um, but one of the things I wanted to know was I've gotten to the bottom of how long you had a chance to actually hold the ball, but. Um, I read in the Globe article, that Boston Globe article, that you were dressed in black. Gaga did not want to see you, or not, not that it wasn't you in your, your handsome face, but she did not want to see any distractions probably besides the ball. Is that correct? Well, yeah. So that was, was I was told to dress in all black okay. because they didn't want the camera to catch me in any way, shape, or form. Okay. So I'm dressed in all black, but I'm also in the shadows because all the lights are pushing up on her. Yeah, right. Stage lights and are on her. I those... All the high school girls that had those uh, lights that they were dancing with. Yep. So I'm totally in the shadow. And one of the things that we had agreed upon was that as she walked up the steps, I would hold the football up pretty high so that as she throws the microphone down, she could look over and pick out the football out of the darkness and at least sort of have an idea as to where it was coming from. Got it. Okay. And so when you guys practice this – I'm guessing it was not full scale, dark, dark out. You were in all black. Lights were up, or or, or was it? Well, early on. So when we started uh, on Tuesday night, we were out at an arena outside of Houston. It was sort of a private, much smaller setting with just Lady Gaga, her dancers, and a small crew. Got it. So I got to meet, talk to her, and interact. And we started coming up with a game plan as to, you know, from which step would she jump? What was the cue she was going to give me? Yeah. How does she want me to throw ball? All that crazy stuff. But as we got closer to the performance and we were in NRG Stadium, they tried to make it as real as possible. Okay. Now, they still couldn't possibly um, create an environment like the Super Bowl halftime. <laughs> right. Because right. there were thousands of more people on the sideline than were ever there for rehearsal. Right. Uh, but so we had a pretty good idea as to what it was going to be like. Although on game day, the pyrotechnics were everywhere and like, fires being shot and all this crazy stuff that I think made it even more difficult. So, you know, she just did a great job. And as she threw the microphone, if you look, she's peeking out of the corner of her eye trying to find that football. And once I saw her lock into me, that's my cue to go. Nice, nice. What, so what was her signal to you? Is that, well, is that, so that, sta- is that stagecraft or? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm new to this. I don't know if I'm supposed to share it. Okay, not, okay. Okay, so, all right. Was it, was it a visible, is it a visible cue though, obviously? Yeah, it, it is. What, what became the visible cue was the microphone throw. Got it. Right, right. So that point's got to go. Throws it down, and then it's go time. But what's interesting is, right before the last rehearsal we ever had, yep. uh, somebody from her crew comes up to me and says, you know that entire system of cues you guys had set up? <laughs> she doesn't want to do it anymore. She's going to do something different. Try to figure it out this one last time before the Super Bowl. Oh, okay. <laughs> she had thing where she was going to sort of hand the microphone and then just sort of like you know sort of stretch her arm once and jump and that was my cue but she felt like it was too much dead air and yeah. it was. I think she, um, so yeah I had one chance to get that timing down before we actually made the Super Bowl throw fantastic well you know you gotta yeah. it's always good to have one dry run right jeez uh, all right, so, so let me ask you this so clearly the ball had to be bedazzled not necessarily for fashion but also so she could pick it up correct um, you know, if you'd thrown yeah. a brown football at her, she wouldn't have seen it, correct? Yeah, I, I don't know if that was the intent when they put the crystals and bedazzling all over it, but it certainly was an added benefit. Sure. So now I had asked you this, you know, and I loved, I can't wait to hear your answer. So you played football for legendary Zavarian brothers, now retired, I believe, football coach Charlie Stevenson. 
Wood Coach Stevenson, who is a great guy. I, I know him from back in the day. Uh, would he have allowed the Zavarian football, the, the Hawks, to use a bedazzled football if, if he thought that it helped the receivers catch balls at night games or no? <laughs> you know, I, I'm torn in my answer. Yeah. Uh, because on the one hand, I can't see Coach Stevenson being caught dead with anything like that football. I agreed. On the other, he has the attitude that he'll play you anytime, anywhere, any place. And if you made the comment that he couldn't beat you with a bedazzled football, he do it. He was going to find a way to beat you with a bedazzled football. All right. so, I'm not sure. It all depends on the circumstance. I get, agreed. Okay, so potentially, if, if 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 challenged in the right way, he might have done it. Okay, um, let's talk about the PSI of this football to put Deflate Gate to bed forever. Was yeah. this a regulation football to bedazzled on? I'm going with no, but overinflated, underinflated. It was overinflated. Yep. It was also then they had a, a sticky white covering to it because they couldn't put the crystals on the football itself. It wouldn't stay and it yeah. wouldn't jump. So there's a white padding around it, then the crystals. So it's overinflated. It looked like a Canadian football league football. Okay. So good a big problem with it, but it would not bend because it was underinflated. Okay, so it would have been more of the Aaron Rodgers. I like my my football overinflated vernacular. Okay, good, good to know. Uh, see, we're getting to the bottom of some things here. Okay, you are a Patriots fan. You're from Canton, Massachusetts. Okay, you you, you worked in New England for a long time. Um, I'm not sure if you've ever been to a, a Super Bowl before or not, but but really, is is having a an actual role, a job to do at halftime. Uh, does that make it easier to endure when your team is, is late to the, you know, not up to snuff in the first half? Does it make it a little bit easier to endure that when you have to think about what you got to do at halftime? Uh, it certainly did this time. So my, my brothers and I went to the Super Bowl in Arizona two years ago. You know what? I'm not, so remembering, I'm not remembering this. Okay, cool. So you've been before, but you clearly did not participate in that halftime. No, not like this. No, and what was, what was funny was when I talked to my brother about potentially going again, we had this exact conversation, which was, listen, let's try to go, but if we can't, who cares? Because it's never going to talk what happened in Arizona. <laughs> Little did we know. <laughs> well, thank you, for, thank you for saying that, because you know what? It, it did, and it's amazing. And I mean, not only did it for all of us fans, but obviously you got a little extra there. But uh, Okay, so that goes into my next piece, though, which is you guys must have had your doubts at some point during that first half and or the beginning of the third quarter. So... If that's the case, or if you officially gave up, uh, can you take me through when you hit rock bottom? Well, I was lucky, in a sense. Uh, so when they called to offer me the role, what they said was, we need you to make a throw, but we can't tell you any more than that. Uh, you have to work from 3 to 10 p.m. every night this week. We can't pay you, and you can't watch the game. <laughs> so I said, you bargain, but I'm in. Uh, <laughs> What they meant is they couldn't give me a ticket, but I had my own ticket, so I was able to go, oh, but nice. I still couldn't walk. I had to go with them for the first half. Oh, you had to be under, like, sequester so, of some kind. Exactly right. I spent the first half around an iMac with the guys in charge of the pyrotechnics who had pulled the game up on their screen, and I got to see a little more than the first quarter, and then I spent the majority of the second quarter out on the road that led into the stadium because we all had to be in formation ready to go. Wow. So all I heard once in a while with somebody with a headset on telling me another touchdown by the Falcons, another touchdown by the touchdown. So, uh, was that surreal to be like, was that surreal to be like, I'm in the parking lot of the game. I was going to be at this game and every, every piece of news I'm getting is terrible news. Yeah. And like you hear cheers once in a while and, and some people had it on their phone 
ahead of others, depending on their service provider, I guess. Sure, so some sure. people would cheer. Seconds later, there'd be another cheer. But it was for the same play. It was chaos. It was Thunderdome. I didn't like it. I wanted nothing to do with it. Yeah, man. I mean, I don't know how. It just sounds like the ability to harness all those people into what wound up being like a 10-minute show or whatever and then getting it in and off. I mean, it's actually yeah. amazing they can do it. I know halftime half is elongated in the Super Bowl and it feels like a long time to the viewer, but, I mean, they get a lot of crap yeah. done in like half an hour. A lot of stuff done. What I found to be most um, impressive by the whole thing is that the majority of the people who are doing the work are volunteers from the host city. It's yeah. not like they're bringing these crews in here. You know, so for example, every piece of the stage that they would run on, and there were, I don't know, maybe 35 pieces of total yes, that were they, on wheels yeah. that they rolled. And if I understood correctly, they'd have, you know, one person who knew what they were doing, but the other seven were volunteers from the city that just wanted to help out. Wow, that's cool. That's good to hear so that the people. I thought were through the roof, but they pulled it off really well. Yeah, no, it was definitely a very aggressive and ambitious performance, and it came off great. So props to the volunteers and props to. You for hitting that pass now. Um, all right, so you got to watch the third quarter, though. When did you get back into your seat? I didn't. So I, after halftime, I actually stuck around. Um, I wanted to sort of catch up with her, and I got a great picture. Luckily, she was really kind Yeah, that was that. cool to see. That was really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, there was a TV in the hallway, so I got to see a little bit of it. But I actually didn't get back to my seat till the start of the fourth quarter. So everything that I saw live was amazing. So essentially, after you went one for one and hit Gaga for a touchdown and got back to your seat, things kind of got back to order for the Patriots. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying. I'm just saying. You say I'm just. I'm saying for you, my friend. That's why I'm the host and you're the guest. I, you know, I can see what's going on here. <laughs> karmatically, I can see it. Um, all right, let's fast. Oh, actually, all right. Well, I'll get to that later. A couple other questions on Gaga in a bit, but. Um, let's just switch gears a little bit. So you've been there now twice when you're, I believe now twice, unless you're hiding another Super Bowl under your belt, but now two, twice for victories, Super Bowl 49, Super Bowl 51. What's it like to be there when your team wins it all? Well, it was insane. And what was crazy was that both of those Super Bowl wins, you know, they didn't win until the end of the game. Right? Right. I mean, it was the last play or one of the plays of the game. And what's really interesting about being at a Super Bowl is no matter what happens, half of the crowd is cheering. Correct. And that's a weird thing. Typically, if you're going to watch a Patriots game, either everybody's cheering or nobody's cheering. Right. And so it's this really weird thing that no matter what happens, somebody's losing their mind about it. And, uh, you know, we were surrounded by Falcons fans, even though we had some good Pats fans around us. So it was sort of a a good back and forth. Um, But I would say that's the strangest part of the whole thing is – how no matter what happens, half the place is going nuts. Yeah, right. And the, other, and the other half is not so nuts. Yeah, we were we watched it. I was with my brother and my cousin and some other folks, some other pundits of the show. If it was last week, last week's episode was actually us devolving further and further into picture after picture of Corona Light, and um, you know, good times had by all. But we were in Miami, and so there were fan bases from all over the place, and all these like Broncos fans were de facto Falcons fans, and they had a lot to say for a while. And then they were nowhere to be yeah. found by the end. But, you know, anyway, I, I, it was definitely a mixed, a mixed company type thing. Um, all right. Did you guys stick around for the trophy presentation? I'm guessing the answer is yes. Yeah, we stuck around as long as we could until they kicked us out of our seat. We were there. So how visceral was the, the, the heat, the, the booing, if you will, of the Patriots fans towards the commissioner of the NFL? You know, I actually went back and watched it the next day. Yeah. And even though 
clearly audible on the television broadcast, I still don't think it did it justice. Really? It was amazing. It seemed to me like, because you know, a game like that has a bunch of Patriots fans, a bunch of Falcons fans, but also a bunch of people that don't really have yeah, a corporate folks, just whoever, right. And I think that that was one of those moments, based on the way it all went down, where I don't think the Falcon fans were, but everybody else in the stadium, whether you're a Pats fan or not, joined in. And, and it didn't stop. It wasn't like you booed for 10 seconds. The entire time he had the microphone, everybody was booing. And my favorite part about it, though, is the second the microphone switched hands to Kraft, the place went berserk in the yeah. opposite. Yeah, it's literally watching. It was like the, the, the crowd was like a light switch. Like it was that quick, right? Yeah. Um, so that's amazing. So like the fact that you were there and you said you rewatched it. And I, I'm not going to lie. I watched the third quarter on three times the day after. On the NFL Network. I took the day off because I came back from Miami. I got back relatively early, and, you know, it was on. So I was like, screw it. I'm watching it. Um, but each time I was surprised by how loud the booing was. Like, cause, and, and so for you, for you to say that <laughs> the, the, the microphones didn't, on the sidelines didn't do it justice, amazing stuff. I just can't believe the guy went that far down the road on something so minor that now, I mean, that's going to – especially as long as Brady and Belichick are winning Super Bowls or in contention, like – that's never going to go away. Like that's, Ever. Yeah. that's tough, man. Yeah, that's going to be part of the narrative for him, anyway, for the rest of his career and beyond. I, I mean, like Gary Bettman. I don't know what Gary Bettman did to get NFL fans so mad at him collectively like 10 years ago. But, but Gary Bettman still can't really do much in public at like an All-Star game or present a challenge. Like, I don't know why the folks in Edmonton are just as mad as the people in like Montreal or like in like Sunrise, Florida at the Panthers game. Like, everybody's mad at Gary Bettman and somehow – everybody's really mad at Roger Goodell, but it's a bigger sport and everybody knows why they're mad at him. So yeah. it's never going away. Uh, as no, as no Jonah Hill said in um, Superbad, people don't forget. You know, it's just, it's not good. Um, all right, man, let me, let's, let's get to, let's get the brass tacks on the quarterback, the quarterback ratings of the night. Okay. So a couple fun facts here. We all know that Brady's rep in Michigan. We all know Matty Ice is rep in Boston college. Good for them. But I believe Dartmouth College had tangentially two former quarterbacks represented in some way during the Super Bowl. One, yourself. We'll get to you in a minute. Two, uh, current Big Green football coach Buddy Tevins also played quarterback for the Big Green. I believe he was in that commercial where, I don't know if it's SAP or who it is, but they're those robot tackling dummies. But, right, is that yep. the commercial? Okay. Yeah. But now, so I believe, and I'm going to go on an unofficial stat of the week, that Dartmouth was – uh, more represented than, than either BC or Michigan, ironically. Um, so anyway, though you guys didn't play in the game and Coach Tevens didn't throw a pass, you did. You had you were one for one. You passed to Lady Gaga. She caught the pass. I'm going to give her a touchdown on that. So your quarterback rating, probably higher than both the record-setting Brady and a very decent Matty Ice performance. So congratulations on that. I appreciate that. No I doubt. No doubt. The, the people working against Brady and Matt Ryan were probably uh, a lot more present. Uh, I just had to throw it to an open receiver. So. Correct, correct. But the bottom line is you both, you both had to execute while doing a myriad of other things. I mean, you were coming in off the street or the parking lot, for God's sakes. Um, all right, so it sounds like you guys hashed out a plan of what was going to happen location-wise, but was there ever any discussion of Gaga? It sounds like probably not, but taking a handoff or a lateral or like her throwing, her throwing the pass instead of catching it or perhaps her sacking a backup dancer slash quarterback, anything like that? No, I, I think at least from the moment, the moment I was involved, she wanted to do something big, some big ending to really 
sort of drive home the point that this was an incredible performance. So um, I think there were probably times where they considered getting it out before I got there because they had a different member of her crew, I believe, for a couple days trying to complete that pass to her. Um, I don't think they were having much luck based on what they told me. I mean, they so called they, they called college they, they called college your place of business looking for a miracle. So the answer is probably yeah. They didn't have any luck. Yeah, that's not a good sign, right? Things aren't going well. You need a backup quarterback. You know. Yeah. The uh, the the funny thing is, um, and forgive me, I'm not sure exactly what his title is, but I'll call him the director of the performance. Came up to me afterwards and sort of slapped me on the back, and he said, "Look, I didn't want to say anything to you beforehand, but I was more worried about that than any other part of the performance." So. I mean, honestly, it's like anything else. I, you see it and it worked, so it looked easy, right? But but like anything else, it's the thing at the end that's like, she drops that ball and, and Twitter has a field day. Yeah, that's the lasting image that everyone has of the performance. Right, because the, the safe move is you do a Gronk spike of the microphone. She literally does a mic drop, show's over, great job, Lady Gaga. And she's like, no, 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 one better. I'm going to jump off the stage and catch a football from Brian Mann. Yeah. yeah, I mean, she drops that ball, and she's left shark. You don't want to be yeah. left shark. Maybe you're left shark. <laughs> you know, that was the that was the joke I kept using. Is like I'm the equivalent of like a home plate umpire. If anybody knows my name after this is said and done, it's a bad thing. Yeah, correct, correct. Yeah, or like, yeah, you, you don't want to know the, ref, the refs. If you don't know the refs' name, it's like offensive lineman. You don't want your name called. It means you yeah. probably have a holding or you missed your block. Um, all right, man. Let's see. Okay, really quickly. Had you honed your skills over the over the summertime back in the day, kind of in the pool, throwing your friends, jumping off diving boards? Is that how you honed yeah. that craft? No, I think that's a that's a perfect analogy as to what it was like. Um, except the difference is, you know, typically when you're throwing your buddies in the pool, you're you're firing as fast as you can, just have a little fun with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> other, you know, they're even though they're jumping, they're sort of on the same plane. Was you know, she was standing on a platform that was twelve feet high. Yeah. So trying to catch her on the way down made it a little more challenging. And I was not trying to throw it as hard as I could so that if it missed her, it would be a little painful. I was trying to make sure she caught it. That was, uh, but, yeah, that's a great analogy. That's exactly what it felt like. We go off the dive board and you're trying to hit him in midair. Yeah, perfect. Uh, that's what it looks like. Let me ask you this. And, again, I don't know if you can answer this. What did she land into on? Oh, yeah. It was um, it was like a giant foam pit. Nice. You know, like you see those at some of like the gymnastics academies and stuff like that. Totally. But what was interesting was, I'm not sure, well, I know why, because the the girls that were on the field, there was about 800 of them or 900 of them, they were sort of running back and forth at different points in the show. Sure. So they wanted to keep that area uh, open. So they didn't actually roll the foam pit up until 45 seconds, 60 seconds before she came. Wow. So I only had about a minute to sort of get to my position, get lined up, and you know, flip the ball a few times and get my hands ready before it was time to go. Wow. So good thing that her people came through on that because a lot of times unpaid help can leave you hanging and uh, that would have been bad if that ball pit didn't get the, you know, the foam pit didn't get there. Glad glad we called that guy. Well, you know? what, was, what was interesting was, um, you know, the, the longer the rehearsals went, meaning the closer we got to the Super Bowl, the less space I had, right? So right. Was just me in the foam pit and we're practicing. Then you add in all those girls in the field that are trying to crowd around. They're supposed to, so there's not a big empty black hole on camera. They want them to be as close to me as possible. Yeah. Then you put a camera guy in there. And then I found out late in the process, um, and I don't know who does this. It must have been like the Houston Fire Department or something. 
somebody came in and said uh, the foam pit hasn't been properly prepared. So with all the pyrotechnics hanging around it, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fire hazard, right? Yeah. So it's a concern. So in addition, they had these huge fire extinguishers all the way around. Just in case. Wow. It something went off. So, cause you couldn't spray it because she had a land in there. Right? It would be toxic for her. Right. Anyway, I thought that was really funny. But yeah, just a giant foam pit. Okay, good to know. Because, I mean, I saw a couple of fun memes or whatever where she was going down like the Super Mario Brothers, like the green, you know, like the, the, the new world, the different worlds, which is kind of yeah. neat, the pipes. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What Now now that Gaga has taken, in my mind, I mean, it was a great halftime show. She, she, she blew it out of the water. But now that she's incorporated the sport that she's, you know, participating in into the end of the routine um, – what are your thoughts on other artists incorporating the post mic drop showstopper with an athletic move like Gaga did? And if so, do you have any predictions? No, I, I, <laughs> I thought it was a risky move on her part. I, I thought it was gutsy. And I mean, you tell by the look at her face, she went after that thing intensely. I mean, she was not going to drop that football. And that was awesome. I would actually suggest to anybody else, unless they've got a back on it, not to even try it. It's been done. You're not going to do it better. And the risk-reward, I'm not sure it's there. Correct. I agree with that. And you, be having you been there, I'm going to take your word at it. But my, my prediction that I sent to you is, you know, the World Cup's going to come up pretty soon. Yep. And I don't know who's going to perform. I think it's going to be in Russia this time around or Qatar or Qatar, whatever we're saying these days. Uh, regardless, it's a great place. And we love yep. the listeners we have there. But um, I'm thinking either Beyonce or Pitbull does the halftime of the World Cup final and maybe like Messi kind of – Corner kicks it for a header opportunity or maybe a bicycle kick. Like, that's the only thing I can think of. But to your point, bicycle kicks are not exactly fun to do, especially if you're not a professional soccer player. So maybe Gaga might have hit the, hit, hit, the, hit the lottery on that one. I think you're right. Yeah, I think that might be it. All right, cool. All right, listen, we, we want to get into a couple other things why we have you here, Brian. And as I said at the top of the show, and by the way, everybody, you know, filibusterfreestyle.com, uh, my unofficial marketing people tell me I don't say that the website name enough so i'm just gonna say it right there and uh you know check out the website everybody and uh you know nothing like momentum killers but we gotta get the spots in anyway you you worked um it sounds like after football you know you went out to kind of california and or maybe you got into california because there's been a couple movies you've worked on as essentially a stunt double for a guy trying to play you know an actor trying to play football in a movie i, I know the two that i believe he's done which is Mark, Mark Wahlberg's character in Invincible, and then, of course, Adam Sandler's character in The Longest Yard remake. Um, which one of those two is your first foray? I think I lost you there. Tell me that last part again. No, I, sorry, bro. Yeah, I just said, which, one of, which movie was first, Invincible or yeah. Longest Yard? Okay. Yeah, so after, after I got Dartmouth, I had a chance to go play in the Arena Football League, uh, and I played for, at the time, it was the LA Avengers. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was an incredible experience and I loved it. And I got uh, paid to play football, uh, but I did not get paid NFL money. So <laughs> we had to work in the off season in order to sort of sustain that. And I, again, another right place, right time moment. Um, I was in our locker room after we lost our last game of the year in 2004. And this guy knocked on the door of the locker room. He was a producer. He was working for Paramount. He said he had a bunch of actors outside. Uh, and he needed somebody to throw to him. Could anybody in the locker room throw a football? Uh, so I raised my hand and went out, and then one thing led to another. I ended up getting a role um, doing stunts for Adam Sandler in The Longest Yard. Yeah. And then I went and worked for that same guy the following summer, 
Uh, and I actually played uh, this guy named Mike Barilla, who was the quarterback for the Eagles in 1976. Okay, got it. So you didn't play Mark Wahlberg character. You played oh. somebody else. Got it. Okay. Yep. yep. Um, so you can uh, you can see my face on camera in that one, but it's a it's a 70s movie. And my hair, I don't know if you can tell, gets really curly, so I had a big curly afro. Nice. So I'm, I was uh, in mutton chop sideburns. Yeah, I was going to say, do you have a sweet so stash was, or something like that? You must have, right? Yeah, so we were in Philadelphia. I was, you know, 25 and single trying to convince girls I had an afro and sideburns because I was in a movie. Uh, <laughs> and it didn't go over. <laughs> yeah, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't buy it? <laughs> That's too bad, man. I like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, all right, so let me ask you this. Um, in doing those two movies, knowing what you know about playing, it sounds like you play quarterback in both, but could the same stunt person play two different characters? Like if Mark Wahlberg and Adam Sandler were in the same movie and they both wanted to use you through the power of filming, could they, or is that just too darn hard? Well, I think they could do it. Um, you know, for example, I, I did um, the stunts for Sandler, but I was also, you know, like football player number seven. Uh, you know, I did a lot of other stunts as a random person there. They just dress you up differently. They try not to because they want to have some consistency and they want people that are watching closely to be, um, that they can't, they wouldn't be able to identify that. But there certainly are times where they can use the same person in multiple roles. All right, cool. So football player number seven is not a bad role. And, you know, what, uh, so with Sandler, all right, so you're doing the movie and this is early 2000, mid 2000s, right? So concussion protocol certainly wasn't, you know, uh, as rigorous as it is now. So did you guys get pretty like full contact and get lit up a little bit in these filming sessions or what? Yeah, the, the good news is that most of the guys on the set were arena league football players. Okay. The guys who did it felt as though it was a, it was a good level of talent, um, but still guys that needed to work hard in order to make money. So it was, uh, it was a good balance. And we would rehearse and practice and rehearse and practice these hits to line them up as well as we could to try to take care of one another. But the bottom line is you're still trying to make a hit on a movie the producers want you to make it as big as you possibly can. And yes. guys, um, I did, I did, I'm certain that had we filmed that today, I would have had one concussion on the set of the longest yard. Okay. <laughs> I'm only laughing life. because it's, you know, 10 years ago, concussions weren't, were, were, were not that they were yeah. funny. They just weren't in the lexicon of like, you know, it was cool to see John Elway do a helicopter spin into the end zone, you know, during the Super Bowl or almost into yeah. the end zone. Now you're like, damn, John Elway put himself in some danger. Yeah, big time. Yeah, back then it was like getting a cold, right? You just sort of <laughs> you go to work. I mean, even a cold now they tell you to stay home. It's like, do not come to work. You have a cold. It's like, no, you. Why would you ever call in sick on your sick day? You save those when you want vacation. Yeah. If my boss is listening, I'm kidding. But anyway, yeah. I mean, you know what's funny is uh, the the. I'm not sure I've ever actually told anybody this story, but um, I, I messed up my ankle uh, pretty badly too in the longest yard. And there's this big hit that ends the game. Um, where Sandler's character and Romanowski's character hit on the goal line, and there's a big fall in. So I go through that hit, and I remember when I showed up that day, they had flown in three stuntmen who were dressed like me. Oh, really? So not only did they think that I was going to get hurt, they thought there was at least a chance that at least one other guy was going to get hurt, so they had a backup for the backup for the backup. So literally the third-string quarterback. <laughs> the third-string guy. So I go through... I don't know, we did that hit, I don't know, eight or nine times. It was a brutal hit from 40 yards apart and all that stuff. But I go through all that and I don't get hurt. And then we film the celebration component where the team runs over and jumps on me. And the guy who was playing center, I love the guy, he played in the Avengers with me, jumped up to celebrate and landed on my ankle and twisted my ankle. So 
So I made it through everything else and I couldn't get to the celebration. I so you through. literally got hurt during the celebration. It's, the phen- celebration. it's, it's a phenomenal story. It's a tough break, but I appreciate it. <laughs> I can appreciate it. At least you got through that scene, man, and those backup quarterbacks never got on the field, you know? Uh, all right, a couple more real quick ones here. So um, Adam Sandler is kind of famous for – he works with a lot of the same people. And I think for a while there, you know, those guys liked working with you and you had a chance to kind of be a part of, you know, that, that a little bit. But uh, any fun stories about where he first happened upon some of this, this collection of characters? Like how did, how did he befriend slash come to work with some of these guys that we see, that, you know – any of those guys? You know, as, yeah, as I understand it, and, um, you know, I sort of pieced the story together, so, you know, uh, apologies to Sandler if I have any of this wrong, but, um, you know, early in his career, uh, I think this was, again, if I had the timing right, it was sort of after he had done Saturday Night Live, he had started to try to get some movies involved, and he, at one point, picked up the phone and called his buddies back home and was like, hey, will you be my manager, will you be my assistant, will you be my PR guy, or whatever their roles were? was all basically the same like I don't have any idea how to be your PR guy or assistant whoever it was and, and Adam's response as the story was told to me which tells you everything you need to know about him is he was like I can teach you how to be my manager but I can't teach those guys out there how to be trustworthy <laughs> right and so he just got the feeling that he wanted to surround himself with people that he could trust that would all work together that there were no ulterior motives yeah um and, and he is a loyal, loyal guy who takes care of the people that are good to him. I definitely felt that. Um, and, and you can see it. That's why he works with the same people time and again. And he takes great care of them. Yeah, I'll tell you. And this is, I mean, I'm, I'm kidding because I actually like these guys all on Saturday Night Live. But nobody is better or uh, more excited about Adam's philosophy on taking care of his, his friends and good coworkers than David Spade and Rob Schneider. But guess what? <laughs> Those guys are great guys. They made me laugh at Saturday Night Live. I mean, they're literally those three guys are like three quasi-heroes of mine in my teenage years, which tells you so much listeners that you need to know about me <laughs> and where my life is headed at that time. But, um, but that's good to know. Um, all right, man. Let's do this. Let's talk really quickly about, um, you know, hopefully a few of the folks who listen to this will, will be listening in the Upper Valley of the New Hampshire, Vermont, kind of Dartmouth, uh, Hanover area. Do a little, little mini speed round here on, um, you know, the, the town of Hanover, Dartmouth College, etc. I have a couple questions, but so Murphy's or Canoe Club? Do you have a preference? Oh boy, I, yeah, Murphy's. Uh, I love them both, but I'll say Murphy's just because Murphy's been there since day one. When yeah. I showed up in the fall of '98. Murphy's. So I'm uh, just by the narrowest of margins. I'll lean towards Murphy's. Correct. I mean, I mean, we were saying on the pre-show, it's kind of tough to go against any place in Hanover because at least it's a place to go. You know, and like it's a place, you know, it's an additional place to go in case the place you're at, you don't want to be there anymore. You know, it's good to have choices in life. Um, you know, I tend to agree for, for similar reasons in that, I mean, Canoe Club was there when I got there, but you could just kind of feel that like people knew Murphy's a little better because they had been there a bit longer. Um, and enjoyed both spots though. I did like how Canoe Club would go from essentially kind of a piano bar type, nice restaurant, you know, essentially six and a half days out of seven a week and then there'd be two nights a week where they would try to make it into like a club yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was good and I'm just well, like way to, way to stretch your boundaries yeah well that, that was one of the best things about Hanover right is that um, you know there, there are only a finite number of places given the space but each one sort of gives you something a little bit different so yeah. depending on what you want that night like Canoe Club will give you something a little different than Murphy's a little different than Pine 
a little bit different than Molly's, and, and I, I dug that. Like for a small town, it's got a lot of different options. Yeah, I was gonna say they have like nine or ten options, but they're nine or ten solid options. Um, yeah. Speaking of solid options and different offerings, Saw Hill Pub. Would you rather be there for trivia night or karaoke night? Uh, I I would personally would rather be there for karaoke, but everybody else would rather I went there for trivia. <laughs> <laughs> it's a solid, it's a solid veteran answer. Uh, I still, and I'm, like, I'm going to toot my own horn because it's actually, I'm, they're probably, they're probably just flattering me, but I still get texts from people who are at Saw Hill during the music round and being like, man, we really wish you were here to help us answer the music round. So at the double point round, right? Yeah. Double, double point round. Cause you got an artist and song and oh, I'm not going to lie, unless it's country, I'm your guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, anyway. Uh, all right. And you mentioned actually great call on Molly's. Uh, that place has been there since I was a little kid going up there for swim meets. Is there anything better at Molly's besides what used to be two dollar margaritas? They're now like two fifty, but inflation's you know bit. You know what? Uh, but the CBC that sandwich is that, is that just to die for or what? No, I, I I never look at the menu anymore when I go there. I know that's what I'm getting. And then actually, and this is just jogging other memories. How did I forget? Oh my god, and I'm blanking on the now oh, everything but anchovies. EBAs. Yeah, I mean well, e- EBAs holds a special place in my heart too not only as an undergrad because it's the late night go-to yep. but the first meal my parents and I ever had in Hanover, New Hampshire on my recruiting trip Wow! that EBA's so it shows you how old I am but, uh, but yeah that's got a special place in my heart for that reason I tell you EBA's Buffalo Chicken Pizza yeah might be the best thing in the state of New Hampshire Jingle is man. I still remember their jingle. The jingle is phenomenal. I, can, I, I remember their phone number because of the jingle. And I'm gonna, I'm not, I'm not even gonna butcher it right now. But yeah. it's like a '70s jam yep. that they just have never updated, and it's even better because they've never updated it. It's like it's come back around. It's, it's like what, what's old is new again. Absolutely, absolutely, uh, man. I, I, I'm hungry now, Ryan. Man, I'm hungry right now, which is good because we're kind of getting towards the end of the podcast. But let's just let's leave it at this. And again, I really appreciate you coming on. Super cool that you got to work with Lady Gaga. Even cooler that you and her were able to complete that pass under the gun, on time, under budget, if you will. But, you know, you're in Texas. You've been living in Houston. You're a New Englander. So what's the most, what's the most different thing about living in, in Houston versus living in New England? Oh, man, that's a great question. Um, I would say uh, the amount of people... Uh, well, I'll, I'll say it this way. Um, in different parts of the country where I've lived, there's one question about you that sort of tells everybody everything they need to know. And down here, it's where you eat your barbecue. Ooh, that's a great question. Because it's all prepared a little bit differently with a slightly different kind of wood and, and, and all this stuff that I don't really know. Right. Uh, but that's the question that people ask, like, what's your name? Where are you from? Where do you eat your barbecue? And then they make their mind up right then. You may never see them if you answer the question wrong. That's a great hot take. I like that. I like that. And I'm going to do some serious Yelp research before I go down to Houston and ask and get asked any questions. Yeah. Uh, anything you miss particularly much about New England? Yeah, I, I miss a lot. Um, you know, I miss the people up there more than anything. It's sort of who I am. But uh, this is not a popular response down here, but uh, I miss the seasons a yeah. lot. You know, um, I like the cold. I was born in it. It's sort of what I what I enjoy the most it's too darn hot down here but uh <laughs> i hear you man i uh i've you know i i north carolina is good because you still get winter yeah but like as i was telling you earlier today it was like 78 degrees so like 
you get these breaks that you just don't get up in like the northern part of New England, uh, and that's nice. Yeah, you know, I uh, I sat outside last night. I went to a driving range last night, had a beer, sitting outside. That, that doesn't happen back home this time. Of year. Yeah, I was checking the weather because I always leave Hanover on my iPhone just so I can know what the temperature is there. And yeah. there's about 50 weeks a year when I'd rather rather be where I am than Hanover. Not 50 is a lot. 35. Anyway, uh, it was it's going to be seven there, and I'm just like I am done with seven. So. Props to everybody who's still fighting the fight up there. I mean, I turned my boots in 19 months ago. I haven't worn boots since, and frankly, I don't miss them that much. But I do like the seasons, and I appreciate your take. Um, all right, man, anything you want to you, – I mean, I'm putting you on the spot on this one, but you want to plug or anything like that? or I mean – No, man, I'm, I'm good. I just, this has been – this past week has been an incredibly wild ride, and what's been most fun for me is just hearing from all the different people in different parts of my life. Yeah. You know, I – Somebody asked me that question, what's the difference between this and the Longest Yard stuff that I did? And I think it's social media. Mm-hmm. When the Longest Yard came out, it just wasn't as popular, it wasn't as big of a, of a means of interaction. Whereas here, I've heard from, I got an email from my fourth grade teacher yesterday, and I haven't heard from him, and it's got to be forever. Uh, um, but just to hear from people from back home, from my high school, from Dartmouth, from the Arena League days... Uh, it's just been crazy, and that's been a lot of fun. That's awesome, man. Well, I'm glad to hear. Congratulations on, you know, again, just, uh, I said it the other day on some kind of social media, to speak of it, context, but always say yes. I mean, saying no ends every conversation immediately, and saying yes, you have no idea what you're going to get yourself into, but uh, if you you always say yes, there's always a chance something cool is going to happen, and clearly it did, so awesome, man, and awesome to talk to you. Stick around for a minute, let's catch up, but Thanks for coming on the filibuster freestyle. Love to have you again. And if I get down to Texas, please take me to the right barbecue place so I can answer that question accurately. Brian, man, thanks for being on, my friend. I'll take you to my barbecue place. I can't promise it's the right one. But thanks so much, Gavin. Appreciate you having me. All right, see you, Brian. Filibuster freestyle. That's the end of the podcast, folks. Follow us on Facebook and subscribe on iTunes. Thanks. All right, baby. Thanks for listening. Spread the word. Hit share. On Facebook, tell your friends. We appreciate it.